Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the Rumble Over the Thunder podcast. No racing, no problem. We're going to go through with it anyway. Sadly, a Thursday night rain out. Dan Strong, Andy Monday joining us here. Guys, what did you do last night? What did you do? We're here on Friday, by the way. What did you guys do without racing on a Thursday night? Can can we say, you know, this isn't regulated by anyone, so you can technically say, but just remember people are listening. I slept. I mean, I just caught up on sleep. That's all it was. That's about what I did, Andy. Very exciting, Dan. Very exciting. Yeah, exactly. No chaotic outlaw went online and did some tanks or anything. Yeah, you could have plenty of time for your video games. Yeah. Come on. No, not too much. Uh spent some time with the family, went out to eat with my uh with my brother, his wife, and my mom and dad, and then uh just kinda laid low last night. Um we had some preseason football on, so that was exciting. Yeah, Other I, I totally watch, forgot like, that we're already at that time of year. Yeah, Packers family night coming up this week. Their first preseason game next Thursday. Insane. So little little uh, football to uh, be watched here soon. I slept as well. It just it felt like the right thing to do. I mean, obviously, a lot of us were still a little exhausted from Tuesday. Very long day. What happened Tuesday? Well, Tuesday, you tell me. We had the big Dixieland 250 here, and... Uh, I mean, should we just dive right into what happened there? Kyle Busch, light at the scales, disqualified. Is this like the fourth straight podcast (laughs) we've talked about someone who's won a race that is not the winner after Tech? The Arca Midwest Tour Super Stocks? Is that what that was? I mean, come (laughs) on, man. Did did suddenly the outer Tech come into the inner Tech? What what was going on there? Only one person got disqualified on Tuesday, so I don't think we can call that the Super Stocks quite yet. (laughs) Yeah, those guys have been getting axed left and right. So you're right. It was just one. It was Kyle Busch. Reports anywhere from one pound to 90 million pounds light (laughs) at the scales. You know, what, I drove whatever, you the, might, yeah, whatever you might find on Facebook. Yeah, I drove around the track before we came up here, and I found a chunk of, it looks like maybe lead or tungsten, and I gave that to you, Matt. That that could be the piece right there. That's got to be at least eight pounds right there. I think you're right. I think it's just a piece of a meteor. Yeah, that's probably what it was. It could be. We'll tweet it out, and we'll let the folks take a look and see what they really think about it. But what ends up happening is Andy Monday is 100% bang on correct that Casey Johnson becomes the winner of the Dixieland 250, and now I owe you, what, like a half dozen donuts, Andy? Yeah, just keep them coming. Yeah. We'll just keep the bets going. We'll keep going to mom and pops and just keep the donuts rolling. And I went out a little bit, I thought, on a limb with that pick because um, I was really interested in taking Fredrickson before you did. Um, so then I, I kind of felt good about going with Casey after that. And then when I saw that he was coming with a different car than his own, I'm like, oh, how is this going to work out? You know, he's never driven this car. He hasn't worked on this car before. I talked to him at the track. He wasn't underneath that car working on it till 10 a.m. Tuesday morning when the pits opened. So um, for those guys to get that thing dialed in for him and change it during practice and come out with a win, that's that's pretty cool. That's, that's uh, stuff... Uh, Good storytelling right there. It is, and, and real interesting if you want to dive into exactly what happened there. That is t- typically Rich Schumann Jr.'s car. It's a brand-new Pathfinder car, a lot of really nice equipment that's owned by Sal, and I know I'm going to screw up his last name, and I've known Sal for a while. Sam Magnonia, I think it is, it's something like that. If you look him up on Facebook, it's a lot of G's and N's. It's a very Italian name, uh, Sal's <laughs> Truck and Auto. And he's actually the car owner of Tim, Sh- or was Tim Schendel last year at the Dells and won the championship. Andrew Morrissey drives that car now. 
This is a brand new one that they put together for Rich. It's a Pathfinder, great car. Uh, they haven't really had too much success this year. So, Andy, I was kind of in the boat, same boat as you, where I saw during the morning that car was getting pushed to tech. It had no number on it, but I saw Casey's dad standing by it. So I started to put two and two together, and I thought, okay, so Casey's going to be trying this car. And, you know, is this going to be a combination that can do anything today? And I, obviously, yes. And if you want to know an even funnier story about that, I don't think Casey knew that he was going to be driving that car. Maybe until Tuesday. Because on Monday, we were down at the Dirt Kings show at Plymouth, and Brad Miller uh, approached me and said, hey, so Schumann's trying to get me to come up and drive his car at the Dixieland tomorrow. So as of Monday, it sounded like that all was still very much in limbo. So I don't know exactly when the deal was struck for Casey to drive that car, but... It it was very short order, and then like you said, for him to get under that thing at 10 a.m., to get working on it, to get everything together, just an incredible job by that team. And, you know, whether it would have been second behind Kyle Busch or with the win that they do get that $10,000 check, there's a lot more to the story than Kyle Busch, you know. And it, it kind of sucks that you're sitting here talking about, oh, Kyle Busch got disqualified, and that's the the major headline of the whole deal when – Really, the Casey Johnson story is just as good. Yeah, it really is. And uh, when I talked to Casey, yeah, it sounded like those things didn't materialize with talking with Sal till maybe like 4 o'clock on Monday because Casey was still working on his own car, fully prepared to come up here. Obviously, he'd been here for the red race. He was leading before it got rained out. He got in that wreck in the white race. So he was getting that car back together to come up here. So, um Probably quite a bit similar being a Pathfinder with the Wagner LS motor that he had um, for his car. So when that deal, whenever it materialized, you know, he probably brought up some shocks and had some ideas mm -hmm. for bump stops. And this is what we should put in the car. And then having two and a half hours of practice on Tuesday doesn't hurt either. Kind of get that thing dialed in. Yeah, and it's very helpful that they're all out of the Pathfinder camp. And, and maybe you can enlighten us a little bit to that too, Andy. Now being out of the Pathfinder camp. How easy would it be for someone like, let's say, if you would have jumped into that orange car, Pathfinder, similar to what you run, would you have been able to, you know, make the changes that you think that you need? Or you think maybe that car's a little bit different? You know, what's your thought process? Yeah, I mean, every car has its own characteristics. It's all going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, it really depends on, you know, do they have exactly what Pathfinder's baseline setup is for Kakana, Madison, whatever in the car. And then can you adjust it from there? I know our car, you know, I obviously am friends with Travis Dassau. He's ran good in his Pathfinder car. We made some tweaks to ours even before we came out to Kakana this year. So we got half a dozen, 10 things that are different than what exactly Pathfinder has. But, um, you know, that whole package just seems to work. And then Casey obviously knows what he wants or what he likes, plus the laps he's had up here this year coming for the red and the white race, obviously last year. Um, with the Chase Motorsports team, you know, he knew what he was looking for, and they hit it on the head. Yeah, really fast at the end of the race, kind of peeling through. And, you know, there were some cars coming on late. Ty Majeski was one of them. And, unfortunately for Ty, this is another one that escapes him. So he's still looking for that Slinger Nationals win. He's still looking for the Dixieland win. Uh, gosh, you know, he's getting up there in age. What is he now, like 21, 22? <laughs> so he better do it soon. I'm kidding, by the way. And he's like the exact same size as Mark Martin. Did you know I, that? I noticed that. Mark Martin was here on uh, Tuesday signing autographs, and 
Uh, I ran into Ty's mom at the um, their souvenir trailer and just said hi for a little bit. And um, you know they were they were kind of bummed they couldn't practice on Monday, but there's really nobody that can fit in Ty's seat other than a Mark Martin who's exactly the same size as them, and they're probably what forty years apart in age or whatever. I know, and Derek Krause <laughs> maybe for a little while, but now Derek's starting to uh, shoot up a little bit. He's getting <laughs> a little bit bigger, so. I don't think he would have been able to help him out either. Yeah, Ty's car looked really good, though. He was fast all day in practice. Um, I do, I did watch and practice a little bit, and it seemed like when Ty was out on the track, you seen the Black 51 sneak out, and I wouldn't say he was right behind him following him, but he would stay maybe 10, 15 car lengths back and just see if he could chase him down. And Ty was maintaining that distance or pulling away every time. So then Kyle would go back in the pits and work on his car. It was almost like they were using the 91 as a gauge. Like Not a bad one. You know, we know this guy's going to be one of the threats here. Let's see how our car stacks up compared to his. Um, and, yeah, they had a good car. Obviously, they qualified, I think, fifth or sixth-ish mm-hmm. Majeski, I want to say. And then um, I believe they broke a shock or something towards the end of the race. They had a mm-hmm. right rear shock just kind of flopping around in that car. But to still come out with finishing third and then inevitably second with Tech, that's still a really good run for them. Yep, and we do expect to see Ty back here for the Blue Race next week. Uh, one guy I thought was really, really surprising, and I don't know why I'm surprised by him anymore, uh, is the guy who ended up finishing third, Paulie Schaefer Jr., and maybe it's just because we don't get to see him up here much. I know he's had some strong runs at Madison before. Uh, he won a featured on a Grundy this year. He's a former Ileana Speedway champion. Uh, before that place, unfortunately, had to close its gates. Uh, very, very impressive for a guy that doesn't end up spending a lot of time racing here. And, you know, with Paulie Schaefer, there's a lot of knowledge. I know that he's worked with Freddie Query in the past, so maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that he had a nice finish here. Yeah, and he, like you said, he's really coming on strong. You know, a few years ago, he was kind of a newer guy on the scene. Um, they had nice equipment. He had some fast cars, but never got maybe the finishes. And um, I think Ty stole one from down, down from him at Gateway this year. He had mm-hmm. the lead with six or seven to go and there was a late restart so um he's been strong and he's been one of those guys that's uh been competitive in these uh these bigger events when he's showing up yep dennis prunty ends up finishing fourth after a major melee at the end he austin nace and danny frederickson all kind of involved in some sort of scuffle off of turn number two quite honestly i i missed it myself i saw the cars go spinning uh but it ends up putting frederickson and nason at the end of the lead lap cars so they fall out of the top 10 were you surprised there weren't weren't more cars that fell out there were quite a few i I think maybe about 15 that finished all 250 laps that's pretty impressive really yeah there were a lot of the field there was a lot of long green flag runs um there wasn't a lot of accidents on the track i think you've seen a couple cars with you know motors expire ignition problems kind of pull off um i know andrew morrissey had a problem with his motor um so he had to quit early but for the most part, it seemed like a lot of teams were prepared. Um, there wasn't a lot of things falling off the cars other than the 51, per se. Yeah, that might um, be sitting next to us right here. <laughs> so um, did a nice job having these cars prepared. And it's not even, you know, if you think about it, it's not just 250 laps either. It's probably close to 50, 60 laps of practice throughout mm-hmm. the day. You got qualifying. You got your preliminary races. So um, there's almost 300, 300-plus 300 laps on these cars. So. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Bobby Kendall who, well, he didn't get as many practice laps, but he had to go all the way back to Montello, 
get the second car and then come back and ends up starting in the back of his qualifying race and wins it. And he, he looked amazing in that race. Um, obviously he started in the back and he's been one of the strongest cars here on Thursday nights, but, um, you know, all he knew he just needed to get in the top five to transfer and he kind of patiently worked his way through. And as guys gave him the opportunity to get on the outside, that's the way he made it work. And he drove it right to the front and, uh, picked up the win pretty, pretty easily in that last Mm -hmm. chance race. And, but he ended up ninth, I believe, in, yeah, in ninth, the feature. Yeah. So good run for them. All things considered, I mean, round trip to Montello and back is probably four hours. Yeah. Two uh, and a half it, hours. <laughs> three who's, and a half who's hours. driving the trailer is the question. <laughs> if Jeff's driving it, it, it'll it'll get done quickly. I can I can guarantee that. But yeah, I rolled in here about three thirty, I think, uh, on Tuesday, and I noticed them pulling out, and I thought, oh goodness. And then of course you came up and kind of told us that you weren't exactly sure what the problem was that they they were headed back to Montello. So, I mean, I think at best you're probably talking about three-hour round trip. Like, if everything works out perfectly and someone's at the shop with a car loaded, ready for you just to turn and burn. But, that I mean, that's not the case. They only have one trailer. It's not like they can just jump in one and get in the other. So, you know, there's maybe another 20 minutes, half an hour, too. So. Yeah. Yep, and then uh, we did have a little rain shower too that happened right. Couple was that before qualifying or right after qualifying? Yep, and that then came through, so that helped them just right. from a time standpoint yep. a little bit as well. Yeah, rain was kind of a factor, but thankfully, I mean, didn't hurt the crowd at all. The crowd was incredible here. Uh, just looking at some of the other locals uh, of note, I think this guy was due for something good to happen. JVO <laughs> ends up with a fifth place finish. Um, you know, led a bunch of laps. It's good to see that 45 car kind of bouncing back here a little bit. And I I don't know how much more we're going to see him here on Thursday nights throughout the year because I know that team is uh is kind of looking to recover and bounce back maybe for 2018. But it, it was nice to see that car out there and performing well. Yeah, and he looked really good in practice. Um, hats off to, uh, to uh, Joe and Jason over at Race Tech for uh, getting that car fixed. You know, that was kind of twice in two weeks they had the front end knocked off on Thursday night, and um, they got the thing back together, and that thing looked good. He, I think he led the first 44 laps. There was the rain delay. Mm-hmm. Then they had the kind of caution green laps, so he led some more there. Um, Rowdy caught him and looked like he was – Rowdy was getting a little aggressive with him, so uh, I think Jeff kind of was smartly trying to race him, keep the lead, but also um, – knew he couldn't you know hold him off for that long but he ran good um i believe when he was up front yet they ran out of fuel is what i heard Mm, and they came into the pits and as they came into the pits the competition caution came out so they were able to fuel the car up stay on the lead lap but because of where they pit and how that worked out they lost all their track positions so he ended up going basically to the tail end of the lead lap and to drive it all the way back up to a fifth place finish if there was a Woody's Signs Hard Charger Award, that would be that probably would be the 45 right car for the amount of cars they passed. So that was really good to see a great run for them. Yeah, and then just kind of going through some of the other ones, we talked about Bobby Kennell with his ninth place finish. Uh, Travis Sauter was 11th, uh, officially 13 cars uh, finished on the lead lap. And that was a good rebound for Sauter. Um, they were in the qualifying race. They had some struggles throughout the day, and uh, him and Kelmus tangled off a of turn two. I believe Strelka got in that um, wreck in the qualifying mm-hmm. race. So all three of those cars needed to hit the pits and get things fixed um, before the 250. I think the 52 car ended up not getting in um, yeah. because of that with the bumper cover tore off. So unfortunate that that happened. 
Yeah, there were uh, a few scuffles in that one. I know Justin Mondike was uh, kind of involved in that as well. Uh, Corey Kempkis makes the show. 17th place finish. Not bad for Corey. Uh, right in front of the guy that you were helping out, Johnny DeAngelis. Uh, 239 laps. He finishes 18th. Brandon Reichenberger, 234, finishes 19th. Uh, Brazen Bennett makes the show. 22nd, 195 laps completed. Kyle Kalmus, 96. Uh, that was 26th place. And that kind of puts the wraps on it for the for the locals. And then, like you said, a couple of guys that didn't make the transfer, Pete Vandermullen, Chad Butts, uh, unable, uh, unfortunately unable to be part of the show, as were Randy Schuler and Brent Strelka. Yeah, Chad Butts was in a, in a position to transfer into the race. And then I don't know if you caught it, but uh, getting into turn three, it looked like, uh, I believe, the 72 Jacob Gady kind of forced a three-wide situation down there. And Chad was kind of the odd man out um, with the Midwest Tour. I believe three wide racing is yeah. Allowed. I don't think they have a rule. Um, you know, Chad backed out of it, kept the car in one piece, and then uh, on the last lap of that race, uh, Richie Bickle spun out of turn four, and Chad did a really nice job avoiding him, and then just ended up brushing the right front up against the dogleg wall. Not too bad a damage to the car; it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. So, <clears throat> also on the card for the night was the big eight series uh they go green to checkered 38 laps michael Bilderback wins that again and that that series has kind of become michael Bilderback's playground a little bit he's been so so fast in that two car yeah and, he, he and even here again he dominated he was the class of the field there wasn't really anybody that was going to touch him it would have been it would have been nice um if uh the rules and everything would have worked out for more of the local guys to run. You yeah. know, if you would have seen Meyerhofer, Rodewald, Bernhagen, um, you know, but again, it's tough. You know, same reason we didn't run our car. It's tough if you only have one that you're focused on to mm -hmm. race on Thursday night to uh, run it on Tuesday and then turn it around again. So Yeah, and, and maybe just to comment on that, you take a look at some of the Super Lake guys. Like JVO's got two cars. Uh, the the solder car was their black car. It's not the one that they race here on Thursday. Kyle Colmus had a different car. Uh, so there were a lot of guys that, you know, Bobby Kendall had to go get his backup car. <laughs> so there were a lot of guys that were here, but specifically because they have the luxury of having a second car that they can run. I think, what, Strelka's probably got two or three as well. I think he's uh, got the Tundra car. Yeah, he's got the Tundra car. Which, which is his own car. Yeah. Yep, and then he's got the... Uh, LP Motorsports car, which is the one that he runs out here on Thursday nights and the one that he attempted to run on Tuesday and just unfortunately got caught up, like you said. Um, but, yeah, those are the only two cars he has. Yeah, and that's kind of the difference between the super late models and the late models, really, when you look at it, because those late model guys like Bernhagen, Travis Rodewald, Meyerhofer, that's that's it. That's the one, and, and that's the one that they have to go to bat with every time they want to put it on the racetrack. Yeah, and Brazen was out here with two cars, but they yeah. were both – one for one division and one for the other, and he ended up third, I believe, the yeah, big eight race. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. He did really well in the big nice eight race. There, nice rebound after I believe losing a motor the week before. Mm -hmm. And the thing with Brazen too is he's also got quite a few cars, and I know he's been pretty, pretty busy <laughs> chasing them around. <laughs> yeah, they're um, they're kind of high maintenance. So there's a lot of work that goes into them, and then if you have multiple cars, you got multiple things to work on, and um. For Brazen doing what he's doing, I believe it's really just him. Obviously, his dad and some of those guys help when they can. Uh, his girlfriend, Megan, is with mm -hmm. him helping out, Rick Spoo's daughter. Um, so there's there's a lot of time and effort going into those cars. 
Yeah, and, you know, just kind of talking about guys like Brazen and, and things like that. What we got coming up here next week, obviously, is the blue race. So with the red race raining out, at least for the super late models and all actually all other divisions except for the late models, we now kind of take a look at the point battles. Bobby Kendall is the leader of the red, white, and blue. It, it, it's weird because typically the red, white, and blue points will reflect the the super late model points or the points from the season and in the super late models that isn't the case at all i think you got you kendall calmus and strelka i believe were the top three yeah that sounds right um yeah like you alluded to in the supers the red race got rained out qualifying in the dash still counted bobby kendall had fast time that night i believe third in the dash um so that really kind of kicked him off and then um in the white race i want to say he had fast time again Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong there, yep, that's so he's been doing it through qualifying and and finishing in the top, you know, three or four spots in the feature at the white race. Obviously, there was that big wreck in the white race that uh, got Maxwell, got Casey Johnson, you know, myself, a lot of other cars involved in that, um, which kind of reflects a little bit in the standings. But I believe Bobby's got a pretty good lead, and then I want to say second through seventh, you could probably throw a blanket over. Yeah, and you're that's in that mix close. with Lowell as well, and. Maxwell's there, Chad Butts seventh. So, uh, I don't. It's pretty pretty decent looking, really, when you take a look at it. I, I think we might be in for what we had a few seasons ago, potentially, where we had, you know, we thought three guys who were in contention, and then fourth and fifth ended up tying <laughs> to win the championship. So I'm not saying that kind of thing is going to happen, but maybe more so a case of. You're going to want to be here because you just don't know what's going to happen with things being so tight. Yeah, and Bobby's got a, a pretty comfortable lead. What is it, 13 I think points? it's something around that. Okay, yeah. so that's pretty good going into one race left. So if he continues to do what he's been doing on Thursday nights, which is qualifying well, um, and then just stays out of trouble in the feature, um, I think he's, he's pretty comfortable to uh, have a leg up on everybody to win his first red, white, and blue title. Um, but like you said, anything could happen. He could be out there running third and get a flat tire or two laps to go. Who knows? And then it's anybody's game. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll come down to the last lap and see what happens. Yeah. And are you going to give us you, – you told us you had a prediction, and You told Dan and I that you had a prediction. And even if you're going to pick yourself, let's hear it. Nope. i got to pick last. Remember? Oh, okay. You're going to pick last? We're, we're two for I, two I over don't want to put any more donuts on the line here because <laughs> before you know it, I'm going to have to buy stock in mom and pops just to just to keep your donuts coming. So uh, let's recap the predictions from the Dixieland. Okay. Let's do it. So you had, I had Fredrickson. I did. Who would have been fourth until mm-hmm. the last lap scuffle. Dan had – who'd you have again? I don't remember. Refresh my memory. Who'd I, you pick? I have the two car. Efforts? Um, Efforts, no. He was no, two he, car. He, uh, oh, other two car. Yeah, the other two car, the, the yellow two car. Uh, you should have picked the two car in the big A race. Yeah, yeah. seriously, that would have been nice. Uh, hey, maybe he did. Maybe we just didn't know. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have no. to go back and check the podcast. Yeah, that's one guy we didn't talk about. Lowell Bennett was here with his uh, other car, and uh, they struggled in practice. Um, they ended up having an issue um, either electric or with the motor. They couldn't get it over 7,000 RPMs or something like that. So they just ended up parking it, um, mm-hmm. didn't qualify, didn't compete that night so unfortunately for dan his pick did not hit the track we could have gave you a mulligan and see who, who yeah, if picked. we would have found you yeah but well, you did find me well i didn't know that lowell was out by that point so. yeah neither did i so yeah. <laughs> so point. going into the blue race 
your first pick. Yeah. Mm. Let's hear it, Dan. Mm. I, I mean, are, are we talking upsets here? What are we talking now? Let's yeah. not forget we've got we a got 50 lap feature. Yeah. Four maybe. tires. Yep. We've got a couple travelers coming in again. Yep. Casey Johnson. Five and 91 Jeske. should both, both be here. I'm still going to have to go with Bobby Kendall. Okay. Like, he, he's just been on rails recently, uh, especially the last half of what we've been running recently. Uh, you know, really starting with the red race. So, I mean, as long as he can keep that up, I think he's pretty good shot for the blue race and winning the championship. Obviously, if he wins the blue race, not much you can do points-wise otherwise for anybody else. But I think Bobby Kendall has probably about the best shot right now. So Majeski has to start at the back, back of the invert, correct? Because he we won, won the right race, race. yep. So, so he'll be starting fourteenth. Okay, so he's got a ways to go, which means that he has to pass the likes of most. Let, let's talk about some of the cars that are probably going to be in the invert: Casey Johnson, yourself, Maxwell Schultz, Bobby Kendall, you know, Lowell Bennett. Now these are the guys that Ty Majeski is probably going to have to pass at some point. I. Not sure that I see it happening, especially after witnessing what we witnessed last week with Lowell Bennett. Um, if he somehow ends up starting up front again, uh, we could be in for a race just like a couple of weeks ago. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's a little bit more challenging up front. But I am going to go out on a limb here, and I am going to go with a guy that I think is really starting to find his groove right now, and that is Maxwell Schultz. And that's a really good pick because uh, two weeks ago, the Bruce Miller Memorial Race uh, was a 75-lapper. And if you remember right, Max started 14th because mm-hmm. he had won the week before with the 45-2 and two accident. So he drove it all the way up from 14th to 2nd. Um, so right. he's he's got a pretty good set of wheels underneath him right now. And now, Andy, I just want you to, to know one thing here. I didn't pick you because I wanted to leave that option open for you now. So let's throw it to you for your pick. No, nope, can't do it. Can't do that. I think you just jinx yourself when you try to do stuff like okay. that. Obviously, I just obviously, wanted to leave the option yeah, on the Our car is going to be prepared. We're going to be gunning for it and uh, you know, giving it our best shot. Obviously, we want to win. But I think I'm going to have to go with the 91. You left. The, you guys left the door open there. You think there. so? Um, even with where he's starting, I believe uh, those guys are going to have a little bit of a maybe a chip on their shoulder per se with uh, what happened at the Slinger Nationals and what happened here at the Dixieland that uh, they're going to get that car back in victory lane. Yeah, he's gone, what, now three or four races without finding victory lane? After winning like seven in a row right. or something. Man, it's that, it was so the, he, lo- he got that kind of run over a, at Grundy. And that bounty was a curse, wasn't it? It is the bounty. Yeah, he hasn't won since they so put that thing on. Grundy and then Slinger, and then if you want to count the nationwide race... Where he mm-hmm. got wrecked, and then you got the Dixieland. So yeah, that bounty was so a curse. Somebody else up the like five races. Somebody better talk to whoever put that bounty up. Yeah, maybe it. we should put one on Lowell then. Gosh, I don't know. It's just a, <laughs> it's the jinx. I don't know if it's a voodoo doll or something, but it's uh, it hasn't been it, it hasn't been terrible for Majeski. I mean, he's still challenging for wins. It's not like he's fallen off the face of the earth or anything like that. You know, he was still very much in contention for the win here and at the Slinger Nationals. So. Uh, I I think you got a good pick there, Andy. I, I really think you do. 
yeah, it should be interesting. We'll see how uh, we'll see how the race plays out again. It's uh, four tires. It's 50 laps. It's a long race, and as we've seen so far this year at the red and the white race, there's been wrecks that have taken out cars before. Let's hope that five. So hopefully we can just uh, keep things clean and go have a nice race. Yeah, you know, although, although, and I just want to kind of put this as as a note to you know people that are kind of like me that have not raced a car, don't own a car. You know, when I was a kid, I always thought it was cool to come and watch the crashes. And I think there are probably fans that still think that way. <laughs> but now that I'm a little bit wiser and I've been around racing for a little while to, and talked to you guys and know what kind of investment of time and money you put in, I hate crashes. They're just not – they're not great. Uh, they they make me angry. Up, They don't make me angry, but they make me kind of bummed out. I mean, if it happens at a Tundra race or something like that, I just – I see it happen, and the first thing I do is I'm just like, oh, not again. No. You know, it's just, it's not a good thing. There's a lot of teams out there running on kind of your shoestring budget and racing um, from racing paycheck to racing paycheck. So when you see a wreck and it's going to cost the team a couple thousand to put their car back together, it's not cheap anymore. You know, they're not going to hit all these other traveling races with, say, the Midwest Tour or the Tundra Series. Um, It just kind of puts a damper on everybody's Mm. season and what they kind of had planned to do. So. Not to mention not only the team and the driver, but then all the crew guys as well that are there spending their time. Everybody's got full-time jobs and families and want to go up north just like everybody else. And then you're sitting in a garage putting a radiator in a car for right. something that shouldn't have happened, racing for 14th place on lap five. Mm-hmm. So that's the frustrating part. Yeah. Well, let's take a look around uh, some of the other divisions as well for the red, white, and blue. Uh, you got Travis Rodewald and Jesse Bernhang in the top two in the late models, Munster, Bennett, uh, and Brian uh, rounding out the top five. And then the street stocks, Dylan Wenzel potentially on the way to another red, white, and blue championship. He leads over Andy Cassavant. By the way, uh, I can't get the points to scroll over on my phone. That's why I'm just giving everybody the way to be prepared the positioning well i thought i was but you know, just never know uh rachel Meyerhofer's third jesse van roy slash craig van wettering fourth alex seidel's fifth uh brody revest the outsider yeah that'll be back this week won't it yes he will he leads the sizzling fours red white and blue over paul yor and mike klein man it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to beat brody revest in that one as far as i can, i'm concerned Sport trucks could be rather interesting. Plutz, Van Horn, Quella, Vandermoss, your top four. And, and those have been your top four pretty much right. all year. The way we've been watching those guys, especially, you know, Plutz with the win two weeks ago. Van Horn's been good. Quella's been good. That should be a lot of fun. Kylie's led a lot of laps. Just needs yep. to seal the deal and get that win for her. Yeah, it, it's t- it t- time's coming, isn't it? It's got to be. It's, it's on the way. You get Plutz and, and Van Horn need to run side by side for second for like ten laps. Yeah. I just let her just get away. Just go. Yep. Um, and then Shane Krieger is leading the figure eight points over Jesse Van Berkel and Jake Smet. Craig Van Wettering is sixth. What is going on there? Terry Van Roy is ninth. The figure eights have red, white, and blue points. They I do. Not know do that. you know that uh, if you were to probably go through the record books when the red, white, and blue was still on Saturdays, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't have a late model or a super stock or any of those champions. You had the super lates. But you always the Mid Americans, and you always had the figure eights. So, so going back to probably the eighties, they always had yeah. The I would think I would think you're probably going to look at a guy like Terry Van Roy, and maybe we should ask him to be certain. But he's probably got a handful, maybe a half dozen red, white, and blue championships under his belt yep. too. I would imagine. 
Maybe Kenny Van Wyken snuck one out. Yeah, Kenny's and probably Van got Camp. a couple. I would imagine so. We would, Rick we would, Crawford. Yeah, we should go back and check with some of those guys. I'm sure it's <laughs> it's somewhere in the record books, and if not, I'm sure those guys have it as well. So uh, just kind of speaking to that, speaking of the history of Wisconsin International Raceway, since it was a rainout week here, we decided to catch up with someone, well, maybe, I guess, you wouldn't really think about too much, but obviously a guy that's very important to Wisconsin International Raceway, and that is track owner Roger Van Dalwick. Sat down with him very briefly and had a couple of words, and here's what we chatted about. Roger Van Dalwick, owner here at Wisconsin International Raceway, uh, the historic venue, obviously with the Fox River Racing Club racing here, what, since the 80s? Yes. I would say. So uh, goes way back before that. Tell me about the history of the track. Well, originally the track was built as KK Sports Arena in the mid to early 60s. And uh, my dad got involved. It was just a dirt quarter mile with a pond in the middle. And he wanted to go a little bit bigger. And my dad got involved and actually carved the, the valley out. Built a half mile in the drag strip and actually paved a quarter mile. The early years, the uh, quarter mile and figure eight were paved. And the half mile was dirt. We ran dirt uh, up until 1968 when uh, the half mile was paved. And the first paved race was uh, June 2nd, 1968 with the uh, USAC race. And uh, it was a huge success. Uh, I was pretty young then. I was making hamburgers down in the drag strip and hauling them up here in a 58 Buick. But uh, the place was sold out. It was just packed. Uh, I remember Doug Strasburg actually telling me a story about walking on the track the night before that, <laughs> before it was paved. Uh, just has it been re- repaved since or repaired? I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of talking about, well, geez, WIR seems overdue for repaving, but I mean, it's just as fast as it ever was. Right. Uh, the track itself has never been repaved. It's been repaired. Uh, talking to racers, uh, I, Andy Mundy has won, Lowell Bennett has won. Matt Kenseth even mentioned it back in the day. He said, whatever you do, don't repave this old girl. It's too fast now. And I guess technology took over from the late models and the super late models of years back, where at that time, a 21-second time was pretty fast. Now they're dipping real close to the 18s, and the track is the same. So they gained a lot of speed, and... Yeah, he said, no, just leave it alone. We need a couple bumps, and, you know, we need to slow down a little bit. Yeah, you don't want to go any faster because then you start looking at more vicious wrecks and things like that, more technology, more money. So. Exactly, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, like Lowell mentioned, he said, it just the track is too fast. We're down in the low 19s. We can control the cars, but we don't want to go much faster. And and like you said, it's it'll get dangerous because they're reaching – close to 120 miles per hour going down a backstretch and jumping on the brakes and getting into that, that turn three and four turn and coming through the dog leg, that wall gets close in a hurry. Uh-huh. Tell me about the relationship with the Fox River Racing Club. Uh, you know, <laughs> before they were here, I believe they were at 141 Speedway. They were at a couple other places. Uh, how did that all start off? Well, the Fox River Racing Club, uh, I believe they were racing over at out of Gaming Speedway at Apple Creek, and they were racing over by 141 Speedway. Uh, 
my dad contacted him and he was looking for we needed to get a weekly show uh the specials the USAC races and the, and the bigger races those were all doing fine but we just couldn't get and we back then we raced on Wednesdays I believe it was uh it was we just weren't getting the cars and we needed to get something put together so we contacted the guys from the Fox River Racing Club and asked if they'd like to come in and he says, I'll just give you 100% of the gate, and we'll take the concessions, and let's get something started here and get a local show going. And over the years, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it is where it is today. And, I mean, it's a really good relationship with the Fox River Racing Club. It's great for the guys because they're getting paid nightly, but at the end of the year, there's also a huge points fund for them. And uh, that worked out great. And the last few years, they made a Plan A payout and a Plan B payout. So if the checkbook starts getting thick, they go to Plan B and pay more money out immediately so the racers to help them out with their tire bills and gas bills and whatnot. But if you get a bunch of rainouts, you can always switch back to Plan A, save a little bit of money and pay them at the end of the year. One question I always get when I go around the country and I talk to people about racing and how we have this Thursday night program here at WIR. The big question is Thursday night. Why are you guys running on Thursday, not Friday or Saturday or Sunday or a weekend? And really what it comes down to is Thursday seems to be one of the better options for a race night. Yeah, it is. Uh, everybody else in the state is racing on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and you're competing. Uh, when the red, white, and blue first started out in 72, it's Sunday afternoons. Well, Slinger's Sunday night, so the guys would race here Sunday afternoon and jump in the haulers and head down to Slinger on Sunday night. But uh, the Thursday night deal seems to work out because nobody else except for one other track, which is Wausau Speedway, races on Thursday night. And we're not really competing with each other because we're so far apart. And another thing, too, is you're not just competing against other racetracks. You're competing against picnics and family get-togethers on the weekends and things like that whereas Thursday night it seems like you go to work come to the racetrack enjoy a burger or brat and something to drink and then go home and get ready for uh, get ready for Friday work right Friday work and then for the people that uh, can go they got a cabin up north or something they can go for the weekend make plans with the family do whatever special events if you can get one in uh, on a weekend, that's fine, but we run our drag strip on the weekends, and it seems like drag racers, they don't take vacations. That's all <laughs> they do is drag race, uh, and their families are all involved. So this is their weekend of drag race, and they'll come Friday, Saturday, and some Sundays. It doesn't seem to bother them. Anytime there's a race, they'll be there. And as far as the track and the history, the Red, White, and Blue Series obviously been around for a while. We're getting ready to crown a champion here once again this week. Tell me about the history of of the red, white, and blue. What what made that come to be? Well, we first my dad first started out with uh, the USAC racers, and all of a sudden that show became way too expensive. Back in the day, USAC was bigger than NASCAR, and AJ Foyt and Al Unser and and all of these guys also they demanded more and more money because it looked like, hey, these guys are doing pretty good. My dad just decided, you know what? I can't afford these USAC guys anymore. Let's start our own series. And he was talking with Dick, 
uh, Dick Trickle, and he said, just start your own series. So my dad came up with the Red, White, and Blue State Championship Series, and let's make them. They started out as 100-lap races, then they were switched down to 75s, sometimes they were twin 50s. We always switched it up. But the Red, White, and Blue Series uh, started in 72, and if you look at the the board here of past champions, it's who's who of racing that, that have raced here. And back in the day, we could have 70 to 80 super late models here competing on any one of those given races. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking about guys like Mark Martin, Robbie Reiser, Matt Kenseth, Joe Shear, Steve Carlson that are on that list. So yes. <laughs> you're not kidding when you say it's a who's who. And I mean, those are just some of the names of, of the people that have raced here in the past. I mean, obviously, the history of this place is incredible. We just had Kyle Busch here racing this past Tuesday. So, you know, this is this is a track that's on a lot of people's radar, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, if I go on vacation in the wintertime, if I could be down at Vegas and we're at the racetrack. I'm walking around with a WIR shirt on. Hey, I go there. Hey, I, people know you. It's unbelievable. You go down to Daytona for speed weeks, walking around WIR shirt on. You, you just run into so many people from Wisconsin on vacation. It seems like no matter where you go, there's race fans from Wisconsin. So you've been in the game here at WIR for quite a while, and we heard the news a little earlier on this season that uh, you're going to be kind of transitioning things over to Danny and Ginger uh, to sort of take the reins here. Now, what does that all entail, and uh, what should people expect here at WIR? Well, it's basically going to remain the same. Uh, Dan and Ginger might add more races over on the drag strip side of the track, but he fully intends to keep the Thursday Night Thunder program with the Fox River Racing Club intact along with the uh, the Tundra Spring Opener and the ARCA Dixieland 250, our two special events, and, of course, the world-famous EVA Destruction. Uh, I've been doing it for 48 years, and I'm, sick, I'm going to turn 63 this September. I took it over when my dad passed away, and that's not the way I wanted to do it, but I didn't have any choice. Danny does have a choice. I watched my dad die. At 59 years old when he said he's going to finally retire and enjoy himself, and he never made it. And I thought, I've been doing this long enough. I'm actually going to sit back and let them do it, and I'm going to retire and go do something else. I'm going to go travel, go to races, go up to my cabin up north, go golfing. But most of the time I'll be sitting here in the stands watching the races, drinking a cold beer. I was going to say, you're, it's not like you're just going to disappear from the face of WIR. We're still going to see you here. Right, right. No, I, I won't disappear. But I will not have a radio on on race day. Um, That's kind of nice, though. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I really do not want to have anything to do with the racing program. If they got questions, I'll be more than happy to help. I will be here during the week probably doing some maintenance stuff. And if the kids got any questions on anything, they can ask me. But I'm going to become a spectator. So does that mean that the Eve of Destruction will kind of be your last race? I know this is one that... When I come, I hadn't been a big Eva Destruction guy until a couple of years ago when I started announcing it. But you are, I guess, you know, the conductor, if you will. If if the Eva Destruction is the orchestra, you're up there kind of conducting everything. So tell me about that, what what that's like for you. Well, first of all, you got to come up with a lot of weird dreams at night, uh, deciding what you're going to do and, and what's going to make the fans happy. 
and we just kind of look back and we watch the fans' reaction on each event that we run and, and see how they enjoy it and try to get the fan feedback. And something I noticed that the kids really like is the Tyrannosaurus. It's a big monster. He transforms into a thirty or three-story tall car-eating machine, and the kids really seem to enjoy that. And you bring in some jets to burn stuff up at the end, and the trailer races and school bus figure eight, twenty-five lap figure eight feature, uh, spin the winds, all kinds of novelty stuff, lots of stunts. Got to have stunts, but the main thing is to keep the show moving as fast as you can. No intermission. Starts at 7, has to be done by 10. Doesn't have to be, but I want it done by 10. Because the rule of thumb is three hours in the seats is long enough. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for doing this for us, Roger. And, uh, you know, thanks for everything you've done here at WIR over your reign. And uh, I'll look forward to maybe sitting in the stands and drinking a beer with you sometime. Sounds good, but in the meantime, you still have to announce. <laughs> Just now with a beer, right? <laughs> you can. <laughs> All right, so that was track owner Roger Vandalwick, obviously a very key part of Wisconsin International Raceway, and uh, always good to catch up with him and get his take on things. Well, since there was no racing and we've rambled on enough, Andy, I think we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to skip the tech tip this week and come back with another one next week. But uh, the tape, tape gate. Tape gate. You said everybody was taped up. Pretty much every car I saw was fully taped off. You had a couple local guys um, that maybe just did what they normally do here on Thursday nights from the looks of it. But for the most part, the uh, most cars wanted to make that invert and make, make it in on time. So they had the whole thing sealed right off. Well, there you have it, folks. That's but what I didn't see any shifter off. boots pulled off. No shifter boots. Well, <laughs> you, know, you never know. <laughs> Kyle Busch, what, did he do a 189? Could have been a track record with a shifter boot off, I'm just saying. But uh, don't forget, Blue Race coming up on Thursday. We get to crown red, white, and blue champions, which is always fun. Kent Sports going to be giving away uh, one of their side-by-sides, I believe, as well. Yeah, this is, the I want to say, the third year they've done that, yeah. um, which we really appreciate that as teams and drivers. So how it works is any of the super late model teams that have competed in the red, white, and blue races are eligible to win that. Um, I believe they do kind of like a NBA lottery type mm-hmm. drawing where the higher you finish, the more entries you get into the pot. Um, the first year, Steve Apel won it. I believe Randy Schuler won yep. it last year. Um, so that's a huge prize. I mean, people don't maybe realize that. <laughs> those are amazing. But for yeah. what those are worth and what we race for every week and the point fund at the end of the year, that is ultimately the biggest prize other than the Casey Johnson $10,000 check he took home Tuesday um, that's given away here on Thursday night. So really appreciate uh, Ken Sports. I know Rob Vandermoss, um, the Munster family, they all help um, get that kind of set up for the club. So we appreciate that. Yeah, so we'll have that uh, at the end. So, you know, stick around at the end of the night and check that out. I, I notice a lot of people, uh, you know, like to stay and listen to the interviews and we'll, tr- you know, ter- time permitting and everything permitting, we'll we'll do that again and we'll have all of our red, white, and blue champions down at track side and we'll chat with them and we'll give away the the Ken Sports Prize and we'll have a good old time. And then after that, what? Three weeks, four weeks left in the yeah, season. Yeah, getting down on the nitty-gritty. Oof. So don't forget, you can check out more about us online at frrcracing.net. That is the website. Or just type in Fox River Racing Club into Facebook. And I was told we we should start a Facebook page just by one person. Who was the one person? Uh, it was Mrs. Springstrow. It was uh, 
Tracy. Okay. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's free. We just need a, we, we really need a cool profile picture. That's what I was thinking. I, I would have started it myself right then and there, but I was thinking we need a cool profile picture. So we, we'll have to figure something like out. Like Larry, Curly, Moe, and then we just transimpose our faces on there? Something like, like, something like that? <laughs> Dan, are you Dan's good at, already got the beard. I was going to so. say, Dan, are you good at Photoshop? <laughs> I mean, you're good with all this other computer stuff. How good are you at Photoshop? I know a guy. I know a guy who was good at Photoshop, so right. I can put something together if need be. So watch out. We'll try to get one together. It's free. Um, we'll try to post things not at midnight at odd times, odd things. <laughs> you know, we'll try to keep it professional, but no guarantees. You don't like getting the alert on your phone at one thirty-three a.m. that such and such page has posted an update? I get that. Do you? Do you get that too? Yep. Every yep. single night, Circle Track has four new notifications. Great. <laughs> I'll get right on top of that. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But see, there's the last one. I just posted up, and I I didn't expect you to post it up right away in the middle of the night. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, what the hell did Andy post this week? <laughs> oh, why do you post the podcast at two thirty in the morning? Hey. Shouldn't he be in bed? Burning the late night oil, man. Yeah, that's true. I do that a lot of nights, but I just was not having it last week. <laughs> so, all right, folks. Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, hope you've had a great time. Hope to see you out here for the blue race on Thursday. Let's crown some red, white, and blue champions. Let's do it. All right. Till then, stay out of trouble.